1: Hello listeners, you're listening to a special crossover episode of Movie Oubliette with Endless Bullets for Iconicon. This is a continental congealing podcast with me, Dan, somehow buying another synth in Melbourne, Australia. (laughs) Conrad here. Walking out of
0: Jurassic World 3 in Cambridge, UK.
2: And me, Matt Swafford, trying not to melt away in sunny South Florida.
1: (laughs) In this podcast, we churn over genre films, horror, sci-fi and fantasy, because zombies plus body, plus body, ah, I can't say it, plus buddy cop movie (laughs) equals success of course
2: i guess i guess body cops works too though oh yes
0: yes it's pretty apt so hello matt thank you so much for joining us for this very special crossover episode it's fun
2: thank you so much for having me this is my first crossover with uh another podcast i am still in my infancy so this is exciting (laughs) (laughs)
0: so uh, for the benefit of our listeners maybe you want to talk about uh, Endless Bullets and where people can find you what you cover there
2: absolutely Um, Endless Bullets is the action movie podcast and I started it in January of this year and it's basically I'm a lifelong movie fan Uh, I was brought up on HBO and VHS in the golden VHS era in the eighties. And, um, I have one of those crazy, I'm not going to call it photographic or eidetic, but it, I have a really good memory, especially for things that I like. So I really love action movies and I was trying to find a good action movie podcast for me to listen to. And I just really wasn't happy with any of them. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. Yep. Mm. (laughs) And they can find me on Spotify, Stitcher and YouTube as well.
0: Ah, brilliant. Nice. Well, I highly recommend it, especially my favourite so far is the episode on Flash Gordon.
2: <laughs> ah, that was a fun one. Yeah.
0: yeah, because of the sci-fi crossover, I guess. Mm. <laughs> so Dan, you've been buying synthesizers again. That's just
1: a, it's just a normal uh, addiction. Uh, I, I can't stop. It's uh, I've got a problem, and but um, you know, it's fun. <laughs>
0: What was it this time?
1: Uh, I got a uh, Arturia Mini Brute 2, so it's like a semi-modular monosynth. Uh, yeah, so pretty pretty nerdy, but it sounds amazing, so that's what counts.
0: Yeah, becoming in handy for those 80s film scores that we have to replicate on occasion.
1: Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> you that, guys that do was... an
2: amazing job of that, by the
1: way. <laughs> oh, thank <Like> you. Sometimes <laughs> I'll hear
2: the music and I'll be like, hey, they got the music from, oh no, that's a, that's a what do they a call riff. it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well. But <laughs> uh About you, Conrad, uh, you walked out of Jurassic World. I, I had very, very low expectations for that movie. So not surprising.
0: Yeah. No, it's not good. Um, For some reason, I understand, I mean, this is something that Dan and Melinda and I have gone into looking at Highlander 2, the difficulties of making a good sequel and just thinking about what makes a successful sequel. And obviously with Jurassic World, you know, you either put them all in a park again and just have a disaster movie with people trying to escape a park, or you do something different. And what's the different thing you're going to do? And in this movie, they thought, let's do the born supremacy in malta but with velociraptors and it it, honestly it was just bad i stuck it out for 20 minutes but i just didn't care wow it's really quite amazing chris pratt being a charisma vacuum can you imagine that wow
1: wow how how how
0: I don't know. It was boring. It was totally unengaging. I just left. So there we go. Okay, (laughs) sorry. So Conrad, uh, shall we move on to the mailbag? Have our listeners been talking to us? They have, (laughs) yes. So uh, we are still getting um, mail about shocker. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) surprisingly enough, Um, we heard from our our patron, Patreon patron, Ozma, who said. Uh, Hi, Dan and Conrad. So I watched Shocker, despite the fact that you put it in oblivion forever. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You were 100% right. (laughs) But I couldn't resist watching a Wes Craven movie with nightmare sequences. It was too tempting. In fact, all the rather crude references to Nightmare on Elm Street are some of the things that really pissed me off about this movie, as well as the main actor and his weird way of whispering all the time. And the same day, Vampire in Brooklyn aired on TV, and I thought, great, that should reconcile me with Wes Craven. But it didn't. It was even worse. I think now all I have to do is watch Nightmare on Elm Street again. It's been a disturbing day, and I really should have listened to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, we did We did warn listeners. Um but uh, yeah, I don't. I haven't seen Brooklyn uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. No, me is that, neither. Is that the Eddie Murphy movie?
2: It's not good. It's it's Eddie Murphy is a Jamaican vampire, and you right. keep Ooh. waiting for the jokes and the funny, and it just never comes. And wow, oh my! It's yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Okay. I feel really sorry for Ozma now. That sounds like a double bill from hell. (laughs) Um, On Johnny Mnemonic, uh, Eddie got in touch to say, I'm in the same boat as Dan. I was and still am a fan of Johnny Mnemonic, even with all its flaws. It was the perfect storm at the time it came out, as I was playing the Cyberpunk 2020 and Shadowrun role-playing games with my group three to four times a week. Between them and films like Circuitry Man, Hardware, Nemesis, Blade Runner, Brazil, Ghost in the Shell, and Max Headroom, 20 Minutes into the Future, I was ready for some dolphin hacking action.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, those, that's a great list of films as well. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen half of them, but I'm um, a big fan of Brazil. Mm. Uh, that's, you know, one of my favorite movies. That's a great one. Yeah.
0: It only went in through a coin toss, and I think that pretty much sums up how people react to that movie. Oh, it's definitely. It's a bit of a Marmite job. It I think. is very uh, polarizing, <laughs> that
1: movie. Yes, for sure. I think so.
0: And that wicked person got in touch with the best zinger of the week with, Wait, was there a heroin-addicted dolphin or a heroin addicted dolph in this movie? <laughs> nice (laughs) we can neither confirm nor deny that wicked person by the way this podcast is purely for comedy purposes (laughs) Um, and of course finally we heard from surge Ah. of cold crash pictures hello Hello, serge (laughs) (laughs) and he said Johnny Mnemonic has some cool ideas but the main character is dull as dirt the stakes never feel high and it's hard to figure out why anyone does anything from scene to scene maybe I've just been spoiled by The Matrix but that's all I wanted to watch throughout my screening And I love how Conrad and Dan can both mock the goofy hacking scene, I'm making a phone call, and still
1: go different ways on the final verdict. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, I completely agree with all of those points, Sage, uh, but I I still liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Still love it. Yeah. The nostalgia factor was high. Mm. So, yes,
0: we enjoyed all of your messages, everyone. So please do keep sending them in. We love hearing from you. Yes. So I guess we better figure out what we're going to cover in today's episode. And Matt, as our Mm. guest and co-host today, we thought you might enjoy a trip over to the Oubliette to fetch something for us.
2: Oh, let me see what I can find over here. Uh, Let me walk over and... Uh, Ah, it's a dead body. Oh, wait, there's a machine over there. I got an idea. Go on here.
0: Wait, I thought you were dead. No, I'm alive now.
1: Cool. Let's go rob some jewelry stores.
0: <laughs> wow, it sounds like you had quite an adventure in there, man. Did you manage <laughs> to find a movie while you were there? <laughs>
2: yes, I did. Uh, we are going to do 1988's Dead Heats. The. Oh. oh, what's the best way to describe this movie? Um, <laughs> I guess you can't keep a good cop dead or alive for that matter. Uh, Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo are buddy detectives, Roger Mortis and Doug Bigelow, and they are hot on the trail of mad scientists, Vincent Price and the dad from A Christmas Story, (laughs) reanimated jewel thieves and undead Chinese barbecue. (laughs) Can our heroes crack the case in time and bust out of the Oubliette in a runaway ambulance or will they rot away into organic stew while cartoonishly whipping up one liners? Find out as we pump ourselves full of superchemical sulfadiazole and put on our zombie shoes with dead heat, a singularly unique and supremely eighties horror action comedy extravaganza.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs>
2: can't wait. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be a good one.
0: <laughs> After the break. And we are back to talk about Dead Heat, the nineteen eighty eight Treat Williams Joe Piscopo Buddy Cop Zombie movie. Matt, you suggested this movie to us. Um I, I'd never seen it before. I had never heard of it. Dan, I think you were in the same boat.
1: Never heard of it.
0: Nope. Yep. <laughs> it
1: unfortunately mystery
0: that's, to us.
2: Unfortunately, that's the usually the case with this one. It is very obscure, and that's why I knew it would be perfect for our crossover. Mm. it's also kind of a crossover itself it's it's a action horror comedy and tonally that's a very hard thing to do right full disclosure i absolutely love this movie um i have since the first time i saw it in 1988 and um yeah i just i adore this movie yeah. i'm curious to see what you guys think
1: yeah i mean <laughs> okay. i mean you, you adore this movie so much that uh listeners uh, out there he, he is currently dressed as treat Williams, this character. Roger yes. Mortis. Roger Mortis in the film. Watch the
0: video version for the full effect. <laughs>
2: well, like him before he gets blown up, but yeah. <laughs> and yeah. with no hair.
0: <laughs> so how did this movie come about? Because it's, it's a New World Pictures movie, isn't it? It looks like a, a low budget affair.
2: That's correct. Uh, it's New World Pictures, um, which was a spinoff of Roger Corman's studio. Oh. And they were mostly known for doing, you know, kind of lower budget, mid mid tier, not even mid tier, but like lower tier stuff like vamp and this, and oh, yeah. uh, just a variety of other movies. They were a step above Canon films, but they weren't quite in the, uh, you know, Warner brothers or anything like that uh, category. Mm. And the movie was written by Terry black, who is the brother of Shane black from Lethal Weapon oh. fame and The Long Kiss Goodnight, Last Boy Scout, uh, cetera. And this is pretty much the only movie he ever wrote,
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is
2: kind, kind of odd. I guess that didn't really uh, take off his career. but um, And directed by Mark Goldblatt, who is a legendary editor. He edited Terminator, Rambo 2, Commando, Predator 2. Ah, uh, the Last Boy Scout, True Lies, Starship Troopers, Armageddon, Bad Boys Two. He's he's kind of action movie royalty as far as editors go. And um, he only did two movies himself as as a director. He did this in the 1989 Dolph Lundgren Punisher film.
0: Oh wow! Okay, yeah. I've not heard great things to be honest. It's
2: it's not oh. that bad. It's um it's solid. It's solidly directed. Uh, it has problems story wise. And Dolph Lundgren has okay. got very limited range, I guess. And he was still kind <laughs> well, of mastering yeah. English at this point. It's it's not that bad.
1: OK, yeah. I want to check it out. I, I've seen the like early 2000s Punisher or 90s Punisher, which was, uh, was OK.
2: Those were yeah, uh-huh. they're, they're all kind of their own animal. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. For, for quality. Also, uh, Mark Goldblatt was the second unit director on Robocop, oh, which okay. I feel like is what got him this gig.
0: So he certainly knows his way around an action movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, oh, yes. uh, when you look at the the list of movies that you just um, mentioned, it's, I mean, he's worked with like big name directors. Yeah. Like James Cameron, Michael Bay, you know, Joe Dante. These are massive budget movies. And this. Yeah. It's not a massive budget movie.
2: <laughs> it is not. This was right. a five five million dollar uh, rough estimate budget, and I feel like they left every single bit of that money on the on the screen. I feel like they really maximized it with the effects uh, and the makeup.
1: Oh, the, but the effects! Again, you know, incredible effects. <laughs> Actually, blown away by some of the the scenes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. But there are other aspects of it that, I mean,
0: I alluded to the fact that it's, it obviously does look like a low budget movie. I think you get that from the opening titles because I was surprised that this was 1988 because the opening titles, you know, with a white Helvetica font with yeah. <laughs> a drop shadow over the top of a cityscape and the film stock looks ropey as all hell and some of the camera work is quite sort of handheld and and janky and it looks like it's you know this is take 2 of the two we could do before we had to move on so <laughs> some of it looks a little bit threadbare here and there
2: it it does and i feel like a lot of that comes from it being a a virgin director basically um sure but yeah there's definitely a, a tv quality to it
1: yeah yeah i mean also like other aspects the sound is not great like it sounds like the microphone is like way away from the actors in in some scenes. Uh, very echoey. Yeah. Um some of the yeah, like what what you see, Conrad, some of the acting. I was like, is that the take they went with? Like like verging on <laughs> Nicolas Cage type acting, like just sudden outbursts that just come out of nowhere.
2: Yeah. Well one of the one of the opening, not the very opening scenes, but the scene when they're in the convertible and we're first introduced to Bigelow and, and Mortis. And Mortis is driving, and and Joe Piscopo is just kind of playing the bongos on the dashboard. (laughs) And he's just kind of making monkey faces at Treat Williams and eating a a hot dog or whatever it is. I feel like (laughs) I could have shot and framed a better scene than that because it's literally like, like, wait, are we rolling? Like what's going I on? Know,
0: right. Yeah. I feel like those were like, oh shit, yeah. I didn't know you were actually recording this, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got my mouth full of stuff from the craft service table. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a buddy cop movie. We are introduced to our two buddy cops. As per usual, they are uh well I think Usually there's there's well, I don't know I'm just thinking of lethal weapon you know there's the straight arrow that's a month away from retirement or there's there's a straight arrow and then there's one who's a little bit of a either a rookie or uh you know somebody flies by the seat of their pants and just breaks all the rules to get the job done but both of them seem to be pretty maverick I think they're mm. both getting in trouble all the time yeah. yeah
2: well I feel like yeah Bigelow is the unhousebroken one of the two and but they're both like single no kids no families and just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and they're both kind of mavericks and just you know they're the the renegade kind of cops that are always in trouble but one of them is like the wisecracker meathead and then the other one is Mm. kind of like the (laughs) professional i I at least look professional in my suit yeah yeah but they're basically (laughs) the same guy but you do you do get a sense that they're friends like they seem yes. like they would hang out even though they're, they have very different personality types.
1: Yeah. I mean, there definitely was a, a connection. Like they did seem like they were buddy cops. Like they, it, 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 yeah. they, they sort of fulfilled the, the premise of a buddy cop movie. If one of them was black, it would have been even more of a, of the buddy cop movie. <laughs> but Yeah. Um, yeah. I did absolutely. kind of find it funny. The, the name, the character names in this movie are only character names you would see in the movie. Like Roger Mortis, Doug Bigelow, yeah. Randy James, <laughs> uh, Doctor Ernest McNabb, yeah. Arthur P. Loudermilk. These these aren't real names. These are movie names.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the pun with Roger Mortis too, where it's like rigor mortis. Uh, yeah. I see what you did there.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Only in the eighties. I think
2: even as a ten-year-old watching this movie, I'm like, "Oh, his last name's Mortis; he's going to be the one that dies." <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Did you think that maybe they took the Bigelow character just a little bit too far? I mean, there's the boorish, womanizing stereotype, but I mean, some of the things that he said during this movie—I don't think it's just that they aged badly. I think they—they they were pretty appalling at the time. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
2: Wow. Yeah, well, that was, that was that kind of, and, and I'm not going to apologize for it, but it was, <laughs> especially during that time in the eighties, there was that kind of frat boy mentality where it's like, oh yeah, say some irreverent, like misogynistic stuff and it'll be funny, you know? And he was very much, and he was, you know, Joe Piscopo had got diagnosed with cancer a few years before he had throat cancer oh, wow! and he beat it, oh, wow! but then he turned into an absolute like gym freak and started lifting weights and, and bulking and everything else. And you totally see that in this movie. I mean, every scene where he has his jacket off, he's, you know, bowed up and flexing and and he's doing specific things where it's like, Oh, Hey, this is going to pop my tricep out. I'm just going to do this for no reason. Right. (laughs) Like nobody in the world has ever sat like that. And they're on their desk. (laughs) And I mean, he's almost bending his elbow like inward And it's like, look at my tricep.
0: Mm." But, and and, you know, good (laughs) for him. Oh yeah. It's,
2: it's a, as a guy that lifts weights, like everything he's doing in that movie, it's like, you know, like, Oh, pardon me. Look how big I am. (laughs) And that's, that looks like a skinny guy that all of a sudden woke up one day with muscles and that's kind of how he's acting.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I did watch it with my wife and she was just like scoffing at the screen every time he um said anything <laughs> she was on the verge of walking out of the room uh every time he was uh <laughs> he had his lines yeah some of them are yeah, yeah really disgusting even the last line that he has uh as they walk off into yeah. the distance it's like i would be like I, i'd like to be reincarnated as a, a, a girl's bike seat it's like what yeah who says that <laughs> well
2: and that's that that's the horny 80s for you where it's like look how horny everybody is. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. It was such an unnecessary line.
0: Yeah. There's a nice little slice of homophobia thrown in there as well. When Roger, who during the course of the, of the, the, uh, the film (laughs) dies and is regenerated. If you, if you, if you're not okay with the storyline, we'll explain why in a moment, but (laughs) uh, he does die during the film and get resurrected as a zombie during the course of these, this buddy cop teams investigations. And his his lips go very very pale at one point, so he buys some lipstick to try on, and of course he gets he gets shamed for it and uh, by his partner putting on sort of a stereotypical camp voice and telling him that it brings out the color in his eyes, and hmm. it's even brought back again later in the movie as a device to to bring Joe Piscopo's character back from from some sort of hypnotic trance or some sort of mind control he's Mm. he's resurrected with the homophobic gag and the memory the fond memory of that homophobic gag they shared comes flooding back so that's the only
2: part of that that i like is that they used a a moment of joy between them like a little funny moment i just hate that that's what it was
0: (laughs) yeah it's a shame what it is but Mm. i mean there are a couple of
1: guys. It's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, like what why that shade of lipstick though? I mean, I know. How is that going to work? <laughs> As an amateur,
0: he really should have started with something lighter, I think. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and I love after after he puts it on and they show up at, at Randy James's house. She's like, what happened to you? And he's like, cut myself shaving. And he's literally cut his lipstick (laughs) all over his lips. And that's one of the funniest lines in the movie to me. And it's just kind of a throwaway.
0: Yeah. (laughs) How about the story of the film? So we're dealing with another great theme from the 80s, other than buddy cop movies, which is, you know, evil, rich corporations and capitalists will be super evil Mm -hmm. and in this case they'll go so far in vincent price's case to create a machine that will ensure that they can live forever and he will profit massively from it um our buddy cops are having to investigate how zombies keep showing up and robbing jewelry stores now i have to admit i i have watched the film twice very closely while taking notes i really could not figure out what the plot of this movie was. There's yeah. a lot of holes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, they're first brought into it because of these jewelry robberies where somebody is using zombies to rob jewelry stores. Right. But that's not Vincent Price. Why would Vincent Price do So I didn't understand what was happening there. And then was Vincent dead or not? And was he behind it or not? Or was it some mortician called McNabb. so yeah having I'm seen confused. this movie
2: uh, probably a hundred times um yeah <laughs> it's still confusing to me but i think i can clarify a little bit the jewelry robberies are darren mcgavin's character who is the the chief coroner he's doing that kind of off the books without uh vincent price's knowledge um. him and the uh the asian man played by key luke um mr thule they are using, you know, the thieves and the criminals and things like that, bringing them back to life so that they can go out and steal for them to make them rich. But Vincent Price's endgame is we've got this machine that does this screw all that robbing stuff. We're just going to get these really rich people to give us half their fortune so that we can keep these old people alive. Because what is right. every rich person? What what's the one thing they can't buy? Immortality. Mm, yeah. And that's what that's his big sales pitch. So it's almost like there's two subplots where it's like there's two villains and Darren McGavin's character is the kind of the bruiser villain and then Vincent Price is the champagne villain.
1: Right, right. right. I, I have Just I to have give a, it
2: James Bond clarity.
1: <laughs> I have a big question though. So w- okay. when they're when they're investigating, so uh we've got Roger and Randy James and they're in the morgue. I'm uh, not in the morgue, they're at the cemetery. And they're looking for clues and then they find under the lamp, there's like blood with numbers written in
2: blood or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So who wrote that? I don't know. (laughs) I think (laughs) from, from what I, from what I can gather from what he explains, it's Vincent Price's character catches wind that McGavin is doing all this. And just in case he turns on him, he goes to his fake mausoleum with his fake dead body in there and leaves a a numbers to letters phone code on that map. And look, it looks like it's written in blood so that somebody will have a clue that that's who, who did him in. It's really thin.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah. It's really thin. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me, but that's what I've gathered for that. I think that's what was the, uh, the idea in the script, but yeah, I mean, it's really, really loose.
1: It it doesn't really make sense in the sort of overall story art because you find out that Laudemirk is part of the big plot. So that makes no sense. Yeah. But when you, when you don't know that and the twist is, isn't revealed, then you think, Oh, he's, you know, he's still dead. This was his last right message to help. They
2: they keep it a little ambiguous too, where you don't know if he's died and then they've used the machine on him to bring him back. Or if they just pretended that he was sick and then somebody else, they yeah. put a body in there. I, they don't really explain it. And I feel like as he was writing the script, Terry black was like, you know what? I need a, I need a clue that tells detective Mortis who the bad guy is. Mm. Um, oh, we'll just do this. And you know, the rest of it just kind of fell away in the wash, but it really doesn't work. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But I think, I feel like this movie yeah.
2: so much fun and it's, I mean, you have to really kind of suspend disbelief for so much of this movie that it, it kind of soldiers through that and just keeps pushing. Yeah, that's the yeah. only redeeming part of that. But it's yeah, it, it. If you look at it linear and say, wait a minute, this really doesn't make sense. It,
1: mm, mm. It, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, the the premise. <laughs> a lot of things don't make sense. The premise of the film, yeah, buddy cop zombies. But what's interesting about this movie um, with with Rogers' character is he is a zombie, but he's he's still very able bodied. He's still he's thinking mm-hmm. clearly, but he's just decomposing. Which you don't often yeah. see in movies. It's it's quite a interesting, uh, sort of existential theme about like w- w- what is he now? Like, I and mean, I've only seen it in a few other movies. What was your take on on that? Like, that was for me, that was very interesting for a character. I think, to go through that.
2: I think it's one of the most compelling parts of the story. Is that like you said, like he's deteriorating and he's running out of time, mm. and he freaks out about it in the library at one point. And my favorite line, non-comedic line from Joe Piscopo in this movie is when he kind of chases after him and and calms him down and says, you know, nobody has all the time they need, Roger, nobody. Mm. And it's such a a, just a, a really deep emotional line. And it's it's true, but it's nobody has all the time that they need to live. And he's got this truncated amount where it's like, I've only got six hours left. I can't do this. Mm. And it's, it's a really beautiful little scene, even though it's, it's clunkily shot <laughs> because he runs like 25 feet. And then I he's don't. like, oh wait, <sighs> and he's all out of breath. And he's like, that was <laughs> a hell of a chase. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it wasn't. You ran 25 feet. We saw you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr. I'm in shape. Really slowly as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like, ah, uh... <laughs> they're just kind of like yeah, listening like- through. <laughs>
0: mime running it's yeah it's that that's yeah one of my my night's slowest foot chase ever Tom Cruise would be ashamed um but yeah it is an interesting aspect of the of the characterization of Roger and then the themes in the film is this idea of you've got somebody investigating a, a crime uh where they only have a limited time to live it reminds me of doA which is Originally came out in 1950, which is a, a film noir where a character is poisoned. Uh, you can probably watch it on YouTube if you're interested, oh, because wow. they f- they fouled up the uh, copyright registration, so it fell into public domain. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and a remake of it starring Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan, who I think were a hot couple at this point, because they'd already been in, in a space together in 87. But a remake came out came out in 88, Oh, wow. The um, same year.
2: That's actually the original. Is same the, movie, year as Dead the original is the movie that's playing when he goes back yeah. to Randy James's apartment. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is that's it? right. Yeah,
0: it's on the screen. The revelation ah. that he's been murdered by somebody because he's been poisoned and he only has so much time to figure out who did it and get his revenge and then he'll die. It's an interesting premise. It's used in an interesting way here, particularly with Treat Williams' character, Roger Mortis, because he has his his various stages of grief during the movie doesn't have a huge amount of time for it. But it also, it's interesting how he changes as a character, because I think, I think he's supposed to be the straight arrow Mm. by the numbers kind of guy. I mean, who starts off dressed very smartly. And then as the as the film progresses, he becomes more and more disheveled and looks more sort of Punky, but also has much more of a devil may care, screw it, let's just shoot them all kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's not a massive arc, but it is somewhat of of an arc, which is quite fun to watch.
2: Yeah, well, and I think that's I think you you've hit it right on the head too. And I think that kind of is a parallel between him kind of loosening up the less time that he has and the closer to the end that he gets. Sort of like when elderly people kind of get that, I don't give a shit. I'm just going to say whatever I want to, and I'm going to eat pudding every day. And like, this is, this is what I want to do, and I'm, I'm old enough to where I don't give a shit anymore. And that's, he, he kind of, it takes only having a couple hours left to live for him to start living. Mm. And like when he's in that ambulance going down the hill, and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's just, you know, like, I mean. He's like, it's like, he's on a roller coaster and it's like, well, he's, he's about to crash and explode, but it's like, he's enjoying
0: it. Mm, Yeah. um, He's
1: he's living his best death. Yeah. He's living his best (laughs) death. Uh, I mean, talking, talking about death, uh, I was really surprised when characters were killed off in this movie, like quite main characters (laughs) as well. Uh, What was your take on that? I, I was
0: shocked. I mean, at the end of the... Is it the start of the third act or the end of the second? I'm not quite sure. All of a sudden, we just lose everybody. Yeah, Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, everybody dies wholesale. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I mean, shock... The, the really big shock for me, I mean, there's the whole... The Randy James character just, again, makes no sense because I could never figure out, does this resurrection machine only work for 12 hours or does it work in perpetuity or does it work for a short period of time? Because... Randy James is this character that's worked there for quite some time, rescued from a, a morgue, experimented on, employed as a PR person. <laughs> and and yeah. then falls apart in, in a shocking scene that I'm I'm sure we'll talk about in the Mooblies. Mm. I know I will anyway. Yeah. Uh, but the most shocking one to me was what happened to to Bigelow's character because you have a poignant scene after they've had that sort of uh, library scene and they part ways to go to sort of pursue two different leads. Mm-hmm. And you have this poignant moment of Bigelow looking out for, at his partner as he pulls away and you think, oh, that's quite touching. He's actually thinking about the fact that he's concerned about him or he's aware that he's going to lose him and he's going to miss him. It's, you know, it's surprisingly poignant for this movie in terms of the general tone of it. Yeah. Um, but then you realise later on that actually it's because it's his it's his sort of final Mm. shot or at least you think it is because the next time you see him he's upside down in a fish tank yes which was a complete shock because you couldn't even recognize him and they had to loop a line on the
1: soundtrack that said
2: it's "It's Doug it's Doug Doug.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I didn't recognize him yeah yeah a lot of fish tanks as a kid
2: I remember watching that going is it though (laughs) Because it looks yeah. like
0: Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does not look like him. I mean, he's got a mullet, but other than that, it's pretty difficult to tell. Yeah, um, but well, he's upside down and he's a dummy. I mean, it's not—it's not, it's not going to yeah. be great. Yeah.
1: Is it? Uh, also, Roger doesn't doesn't seem hugely <laughs> affected by it. No. Um, and then it's followed immediately by Randy James's death, and then you've got the ambulance. It's just like a series of things happening in quick succession. Well, the
2: thing that that gets me about her death too, and like what Conrad was saying is like, how long has she been alive? Like I heard at the beginning of the movie that they can't keep popping them in and and like it's a microwave and just heating them up. Mm. So how does that work? Like, why does she have a job if she's basically one of these zombies? And my, I I don't, I haven't confirmed this, but my idea of it is that she's kind of like the test for them to prolong it. Because at the end, Vincent Price is selling it as... We've perfected this one. This model is, there's no issues. Like we're going to reactivate them and they're not going to just waste away. Mm. So I think that she was probably the prototype for that. Yeah. And, but then you would think, well, she should probably know that. And then why wouldn't she be doing everything she can to get back there and get recharged unless she just wants to die and melt away? Yeah. So it's it, it doesn't make any sense, um, and I also don't buy the little burgeoning romance between her and and Mortis. She's known him for less than a day, and it just it doesn't feel right. It's like yeah. And she's also got kind of a femme fatale. I feel like she watched that D O A from nineteen fifty, and she's she's like, oh, imagine what you could do
1: with a search warrant.
2: Hmm. And she's yeah. just kind of trying to be a snarky bitch and it just doesn't work that she would give a shit about either one of those guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really get the, the whole romance thing. I, I don't know. I I don't think they really pushed it too badly. I did find her, her character was a little like just poorly written. Uh, She didn't really do a lot. She was often just kind of standing around with her arms like this. Um, And, and Mm -hmm. often if they wanted a, a change in the plot, she would just be like, oh yeah, I lied. Uh, this actually happened. And then <laughs> later on, oh no, I lied again. No, this actually happened. It's like, <laughs> this, yep. who wrote this?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you have Rebecca, another mortician. No, f- forensics scientist. No, she's a coroner. That's yep. right. Sorry. She a coroner.
2: She's an assistant coroner who is an expert in forensic pathology. <laughs> That's the
0: one. Yes. <laughs> Uh, And I think, uh, picking up on it, I think she's had a relationship with Roger Mortis in the past, but they've split up. Mm. And so I think they're sort of hinting at them still having feelings for each other. Certainly, it still seems to be quite raw. And then, yeah, at the end of the movie, she just shows up on a stretcher in an ambulance. She's been killed, comes out of nowhere. That character's dead too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So they just lay waste to the entire cast so that it's... Basically, just Roger Mortis versus Vincent Price for the finale, which I was shocked by.
2: I, I think they had to get rid of her because otherwise, I feel like they needed a reason for him to just say, "You know what? I don't care anymore." Like yellow, <laughs> like <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that's it. I'm, she's dead now. I don't got anybody. Let's ride an ambulance down a hill and to a fireball.
0: Mm. Yeah. And-
2: but he, he kind of used that as motivation, too, where it's like, oh, I got to get these guys, you know, even more so than avenging himself.
1: Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. He had nothing <laughs> left to live for. Well, I mean, one little note, I did think it was another little cliche that when Rebecca and Randy meet each other, they instantly hate each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You cannot put two women in the same room as Treat Williams without some sort of cat fight just breaking out instantly. Well, I love yeah. I she's no like, idea you
2: work here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did like uh, Doug's line though. After that, chillier than normal in here. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and Piscopo yeah. was is on on Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you've ever, if you guys have ever ever watched any of his old stuff when uh, he was on there with Eddie Murphy, and he was really funny. Right. And he had some really good comedic ability in that that arena he does not have a good screen presence for film. Right. And okay. most of his lines in this movie, when he delivers them, it's jarring. Mm. He's just not built for screen acting. Um, He's fine as on a skit show or whatever. And in, in doing stand-up. a talented comedian, but he just didn't have dramatic chops whatsoever. But some of his lines in this are really uh, it, the ones that aren't terrible
1: <laughs> are mm. pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I always remember him as being a holographic stand-up comedian in Star Trek The Next Generation. I think it's it's season two, episode four, wow. okay. where he shows up, <laughs> where Data is trying to learn a sense of humour by watching <laughs> Joe Piscopo as a hologram, not being funny as far as I remember, but that's probably not his fault, that's probably the writer's mm. fault, but...
2: Yeah. Well he had a lot of That's very like lame shtick too, but he was really good at impersonations and, oh, wow. and things like that. So he had his uh tool bag of of tricks, but I feel like he's at maximum density in this movie. Like this is all you're ever gonna get out of Piscopo.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. Uh, he he's just walking around with like the Fonz like uh, leather jacket. I just expected him to go, Hey woman, am I right? like it's just <laughs> that's pretty much his character
0: yeah well
2: at one point a woman walks by him and he's like oh hello i'm gonna yeah. go uh, oh no sorry i got work to do yeah yeah
0: they lay it on a bit thick i,
2: I think treat yeah. williams is no pun intended just a treat in this film um, ah.
1: because <laughs>
2: he is having so much fun I love watching his character in this movie and how how you said how he's kind of stuffed a stuffed shirt at the beginning. And then he just turns into this kind of like fun goofball at the end, but he's still driven. So it's, it's a weird stew.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talking about another actor in this movie, uh, has very, very, very small role. Uh, Robert Picardo is in this movie. Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yes, he is.
0: Yes bless him he shows up very early on with a, uh, a splendid mustache mm. as the poor policeman who's saddled with this renegade cop duo turning up and ruining his gig <laughs> uh and stealing his car and trashing it uh, yeah so he's the the angry by the books guy from the office who never achieves results but yeah uh, he seems 80s, to be the butt of their jokes
2: he's the 80s action movie wimpy lieutenant
0: Yes. Yeah, He's very good, though. He is very funny in a very, very short <laughs> uh, cameo appearance.
2: Well, I feel like that Mark Goldblatt got his start with Joe Dante. And I feel nice. like uh, there's a Joe Dante connection with Robert Picardo. There's also Ooh. a deleted scene that had Dick Miller, who was a Joe Dante regular.
1: Right. Uh, right Mr. Right.
2: Uh, Futterman from Gremlins and uh, the gun store clerk in Terminator and things like that. And he has a deleted scene where he's a security guard in the mausoleum when they're in there. Ah. Oh wow. And it's on it's on the 4K from uh, Vinegar Syndrome. And I saw that and I was like, holy shit, it's Dick Miller. Why didn't this make the cut? Right, right.
0: Oh, Dick Miller. He was kind of Joe Dante's good luck charm, wasn't he? he was in everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Vincent Price, of course, is in this movie. Uh, He's, you know, very renowned for being in a lot of uh, genre films. I really don't know him that well. I have to say I've only seen him in House on Haunted Hill, uh, the original, and the abominable Dr. Fibes. Uh, He was in the original The Fly, I didn't realize. Do you guys know Vincent Price very well?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, He, um, I'm a huge Vincent Price fan. Um, He was had a very long and interesting career. And I first learned of Vincent Price. He did the, uh, the voiceover in thriller. Right.
0: Yeah. Ah, uh, of course. At the
2: end of thriller where he's like, you know, the hounds of hell. And he does the whole, uh, <laughs> soliloquy at the end of that. That's where I first heard of him. Then I'm like, who's this guy? And then, you know, growing up watching horror movies and things, it was like, Oh, he was in the original fly and, uh, Dr. Caligari, I think. And, um, just a lot of, he also did Westerns Oh and wow! He, he had a very interesting, like weird career. And um, I just remember his elocution being so perfect, just the way he talked mm. and the way he, he just, it, it was, it's like watching an artist or uh, like watching a dancer dance when he talks. It's just, just the way he hits some of his, his syllables and things. And just, it's, it's really elegant. And I've always just really enjoyed that. He also did a ton. I don't know if this was, I doubt that it was a thing in the UK or in Australia or, or New Zealand, but he did a lot of commercials
1: in oh, his later years
2: uh, in the seventies okay. and eighties. He was the guy for your commercials. And if you ever, <laughs> if you ever want to find out about Vincent Price doing commercials, go on YouTube. Okay. And he sold everything. <laughs> and when this movie came out, he was in 1985, he was selling Tilex, uh, bathroom spray, okay. board games, <laughs> He was a spokesperson for the Dairy Council selling cheese on. on commercials. Wow. He's like, how do you know if your yogurt is real? Look for the seal. And he's like doing all that kind of stuff. And he was selling time life books about witches and wizards. Um, he was doing local commercials for sub uh, sub sandwich shops. Okay. And he was like, "I heard from my cousin, it brought me this sub." And he's <laughs> like,
1: "I mean, he's doing this whole thing."
2: There's one where he's doing one for a um, a bank. It was like Citibank or something like that for a uh, uh, ATM cards when those were brand new. And his wife's talking about the 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 bank and all the rewards and the miles they get. And he's over in the corner, like, watching his bug zapper killing flies. And he's like, "Mm -hmm, marvelous. (laughs) And it's like... (laughs) But he was...
1: Oh, it pays well. uh, Advertising definitely pays well. So Yeah, he was was
2: getting that money, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Yes, I only know him... um,
0: you know, from the, the latter stage of his career. So it's sort of like Peter Cushing and other people, Christopher Lee from that era, you know, they've been massive in, in horror movies from the the Gothic period of the 40s, 50s and, and the 60s. And then um, the people who grew up watching those movies would have them cameo in their movies. So I know Vincent from... Edward Scissorhands, for example, Uh, where he shows up as as Edward's creator. And yeah, definitely Michael Jackson's thriller. But he was kind of playing off his horror movie credentials at that point and cackling in (laughs) toothpaste commercials or whatever. So why not? Why not? Yeah.
2: Yeah, He was great. He was uh, was also in the, uh, as far as sci-fi, he was in the original uh, Last Man on Earth, which is what I Am Legend, uh, the story that that's based on. He was in the original film version of that, and it's pretty good.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, I really enjoy that one. Right, wow. But uh, yeah, good old Vincent yeah. Price. He was barely in this, and this was one of his last movie appearances uh, before his death.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's only a couple of scenes. And, and the last one, I think they just rolled the camera with him standing in a door delivering lines. And just edited for, around you know, it. know one reel, yeah. and then he went
2: home. <laughs> yeah. He, as far from what I understand, uh, watching an interview... On the uh, the 4K, he was only. I think they only had him for a day. Ah, okay. And so they shot all of his stuff.
0: Wow. He still makes an impression. He's definitely mentioned in my movie always, Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I heard yeah. that they shot the entire film in 37 days. I don't know whether that's true. Yes. Wow, that's crazy.
2: That's a breakneck speed for for any movie, really. But that's a that's a tough shoot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With all of those.
0: Well, effects, that explains why yeah. some of it looks a little bit rough around the edges. Well, yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I would venture to say that they were doing probably 14, 15 hour days if they
0: shot it that fast.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Oh gosh. Yeah.
2: I feel like we were going through all the actors. So I was just going to say, we haven't really talked about Darren McGavin yet. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot to say about Darren McGavin in this movie. Right. But he, he feels like he's in a completely different movie, yes. isn't really aware of what's going on in this movie. And he just kind of <laughs> pops in like a gargoyle and is like, hey, what's going on here? What? I thought you were dead. Oh, you're alive. Cool. What? What's going on? And But he's, yes. he's harnessing the energy from A Christmas Story where he was the old man, the dad. And it's it's that character to me as a kind of halftime villain – and he's got kind of a Mister Magoo thing going on, where he's just kind of whoa, what what, 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 what's this all about? I'm brushing my toupee. What do you want? Oh, I told you. And it's, it's so manic and all over the place, and it's it's almost like he's watching the movie with us, and he's confused. And then all of a sudden, he's in the movie, and he's like, oh, oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm the bad guy then. ha
1: and he's,
2: it's it's wild, um, but it's still. Yes. It's still entertaining. It's fun to watch, but he's, ugh it's a mess. Uh, Every time he's on screen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even his demise is just like, what? What?" (laughs) Like, what?
2: (laughs) Well, and he shoots himself like he thinks that's going to be the end. And it's like, you're in a movie where they resurrect people. Like, what are you doing? Mm, yeah. Yeah.
0: So we haven't talked about the music. This is by Ernest Troost who is not a composer that I have come across very often. The only other film I know of that I've seen that he scored was Tremors. And I believe he was a last-minute replacement on that for somebody else. So actually that film contains parts of two different scores. Right. This is another one where I was surprised at how elaborate it was. It sounds like there's a full orchestra blaring away there. It feels, again, very early 80s television to me. I was shocked again that this is 1988 because it's very active, very florid. There's a lot of those sort of TV touches where the woodwinds come in during the middle of a dialogue scene when they're saying something particularly poignant. And um, it shocked me, actually. I was not expecting a score like this in 1988 when things seemed to be shifting more towards rock and synthesizers, particularly for this type of movie. Mm.
2: I I agree. I feel like they were really going... the score to this never resonates in my head. I had to watch this. I watched it right before we were recording right now just to listen to the music because it just, it makes no impact on me. Hmm. I feel like it's, it's frenetic and it's kind of all over the place, but, and, and they really wanted to hammer home the spooky, this part's spooky. And, and it has a very, like you said, like a a early eighties, late seventies, spooky vibe to it. Almost like a made for TV vampire movie or something. And I feel like that's somebody gave him that direction and was like, Here, we're gonna make a spooky movie. Write us something. And <laughs> much much like Goldblatt directing and Piscopo doing his thing in this, I feel like this is probably Ernest Troost at his at the top of the mountain as for his abilities. And that's probably why we haven't seen him do a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah.
1: But maybe. Yeah. What did you make of it, Dan? Yeah, um, I I kind of liked the score. I, the, just the fact that it wasn't sort of cheesy synth stuff. There was a very small part of the movie that had cheesy synth. Uh, it was during that the big shootout scene at the start, and it had your typical cop movie music mm, he must have been yeah. just told just <laughs> just rip off something from a cop movie um but most of it yeah. yeah it was very orchestral it was very to me it was very like almost like 40s 50s like hitchcockian thriller type music like very stirring mm. strings and like horns and woodwind and stuff very theatrical didn't really suit the tone of the movie which was mostly comedy and mostly goofy um, but I guess, you know, they were pushing for the horror Sonic palette. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind it. I I was impressed by it. Um, yeah, I've only seen his other movie, uh, Tremors. Uh, he also, uh, scored Sweet Revenge in 1987 and Munchies in 1987, another, uh, Gremlins ripoff movie where it's just a small creature that kills everyone, I guess. And he's done a ton of TV movies. A ton, so it makes sense what you said, Conrad, that it sounds like a TV movie. Um, uh, because he's that's yep. what that's his bread and butter, I think. Yeah, that's one
2: of my notes is he's done lots of TV,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah.
2: Well, and there's there's kind of a gothic quality to some of the score in this movie, too. Which, mm, yeah, like that's what I meant by the spooky, and I feel like some of it works, but some of it's just really kind of and, and it's just kind of. <laughs> Like whimsical, like inquisitive. Like, I don't know. It's
1: Mm, a little weird. weird. Yeah.
2: You mentioned, uh, Dan, you mentioned the shootout. And there's something I want to point out about that. There's two things I want to point out about that shootout. There was, again, you guys being out of the United States, you probably wouldn't know about this event. But there was a real-life shootout. And it's one of the worst in U.S. history called the North Hollywood Shootout that happened in 1997. Oh wow! And it very closely mirrored the shootout in this film. Oh wow! Which was oh. nine years before, but it's two guys. They were robbing banks, and they robbed a couple of uh, armored cars uh, before this. But they robbed a Bank of America, and they had I think three um, automatic, fully automatic weapons that they had um, tinkered with, and they had thousands of rounds of ammunition, and they had uh, they fashioned body armor. Onto themselves and i mean you can find all this online and, mm. and all of the details about it but there was almost 2,000 rounds fired by both them and the police uh 12 i think 12 officers i can't remember the exact stats but there, i think 12 officers got killed or got injured and eight civilians and it went on for like 44 minutes wow and uh they just they were shooting these guys and they wouldn't go down because the the armor that they had fashioned was so powerful. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a very eerie parallel to the shootout at the beginning of this movie.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, See, I was going to point out that it's a, uh, you know, uh, the namesake of your, your podcast, Endless Bullets. <laughs> it does seem to go on for a long time without anyone reloading.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Lots of bullets fired and, and I feel like it's kind of prescient, too, where they're like, why aren't these guys dead yet? We have shot them like 50 times each. And <laughs> I'm sure that's what the cops were saying in 1997, where it's like, we keep shooting these guys. and They won't die. Mm. But the other thing I was going to point out about that is that one of the zombie gunmen that's in that scene is stuntman Peter Kent. Uh, do either of you know who Peter Kent is? I do not know. No. He is Arnold Schwarzenegger's stunt double. Ah. So, he has done all of the really famous, like the Terminator 2 jumping the motorcycle scene. That was Peter Kent. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, for, from, I think, 85 or 80, 84, 85, all the way through his career, he's been his stuntman. Right. That's
0: right, because it's one of those cases like Vic Armstrong for Harrison Ford, where, you know, f- for a long lens the resemblance is close enough that you can get away with showing his face quite a bit, I think.
2: Yep. Mm,
0: okay. Yep,
1: that's him. Yeah, A little little tidbit there. Yeah. Now it's time for Random Trivia.
0: Well, it's time for Random Trivia, and because we have a crossover co-host today, Matt, what fabulous bit of trivia did you find for us in your resurrection chamber today?
2: Well, I, um... I have the 4K of this that just came out from Vinegar Syndrome, and there's a lot of special features on it. So I was watching the interview with Mark Goldblatt, and he, towards the end of his interview, he mentioned that, I guess for whatever reason, they had Vincent Price cast for Loudermilk, and they had him on set, and they wanted to shoot him first, I guess to get him out of the way or whatever, because it was such a small role. And then I guess the, the budget or something like that they had some kind of budget crisis where they're like we've spent all of our money we can't afford him wow. so we can't afford to pay him so and they had to kind of break the news to him and they said well we'll have to just roll with you know somebody cheaper or whatever and he was already in costume and makeup and he said something to the effect of well the show must go on this is for the art so let's 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 do it and all of these nice people are here, and they've they've put in the, the work, and so he did that role for free. Wow. And, wow. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I feel like that's just, you know, it speaks to what a sweetheart that guy was, and just how, how awesome and, and privileged we were to have him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. wow. That's amazing. That is incredible. I mean, it's been some price for free yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I he know. was getting he was getting
2: all that commercial money at oh, this yeah. time, so you know he, <laughs> well this is tr-
1: <laughs> this was probably
2: just a drop in the bucket oh, like, yeah. yeah I'm doing this for scale you know
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh bless him and that's our trivia <laughs> coming to you live from the movie Oubliette theatre it's the
1: prestigious Moobly Award. Okay, it's everyone's favourite part of the podcast, the Moobly Awards. It's where we present our favourite upside down in a fish tank parts of the film in a number of second time resurrecting exploding categories. Best quote.
2: I've got a bunch of favourite quotes in this. Um, (laughs) I feel like everybody's favourite is going to be when Randy James, when they're in the, the Chinese barbecue after the fact, And Randy James looks at Roger Mortis and says, oh, your your finger, you're hurt. And he cocks his pistol and he's like, lady, I'm fucking dead.
0: (laughs) 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 That is a great quote. Yeah. So many good one-liners. I'd I'd say that's my favorite. Yeah. Okay. But but mine was, um, and what I was thinking everyone would be stampeding towards is Vincent Price's great sales pitch where he says and i can't do an impersonation so i won't try let's face it poor people are supposed to die but the same rule doesn't apply to us we're rich god wants us to live forever and even if he doesn't we can always buy him out
2: (laughs) i I love that little giggle he gives at the end of that too it it just punctuates it so nicely where he's all like "Mm
1: -hmm." Mm. How about you, Dan? I mean, there, there are an incredible amount of one-liners in this movie. Like, they really pulled out all the stops for those uh, classic cop one-liners. Um, but I do like it when, when Doug is trying to console like Roger about his his whole predicament, and he says, let's just go find those suckers and trash their ass. And then Roger, like, <laughs> corrects him. It's, it's asses. <laughs> it's like, what?
2: <laughs> and I love that when he says it's asses, Doug, it's plural. And then he literally, right after he says it's plural, D- Doug looks at him and goes, "Plural?"
0: <laughs>
2: like he's teaching a dog how to fetch or something. He's like plural. Best
0: hair or costume?
1: Obviously, I'm gonna pick Roger's change of clothes from Randy's cl- wardrobe, which. uh uh Matt is kindly uh displayed for, for <laughs> modeling for us for, now for the, yeah. for the video. Uh yeah, the the you know the the blue blazer, the the Hawaiian shirt and the gray slacks. It's just uh, I mean it's pretty 80s right there. Oh Very yeah. Very Magnum PI.
2: A lot of Miami Vice influence there, I Yes.
1: Think. Yes. Oh
0: that jacket, they're just it's the sleeves are just waiting to be rolled up, I think. Yeah.
1: Absolutely.
2: Yep, indeed.
0: Yep, I had the same thing. (laughs) I mean, it's it's so striking. You can't go past it.
2: Okay, I'm gonna go against the grain here, and I'm gonna say the best hair is on the Caucasian ambulance driver that that comes up when they're trying to put Roger and his body bag into the ambulance and he like unzips it and he like rises out of it. Yeah. And there's the black ambulance driver and then there's the, the white guy with the blonde hair. Who has hair like a five-year-old boy?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: he, he looks like a Ken doll. I was <laughs> like, watching and I was like, wait a minute, and I was like, is that just It looks like a helmet. I'm like, what's going on with his hair?
1: Oh wow! <laughs> I need to rewatch that. So yeah. Most eighties moment.
0: The most eighties thing in this, I think, is Randy James's apartment, which has uh, red and black furniture, a zebra print sofa. And I think behind her at one point, I saw a pink and turquoise neon abstract art installation. I just thought, oh my God, this is the most (laughs) 80s room I have ever seen. Yeah.
2: I was torn between her apartment and the jewelry store at the beginning, which has the the flex stone painted gray walls uh, (laughs) and the um, Art Nouveau pictures on the walls and kind of that that faux Warhol thing going on, mm-hmm. a little bit of Art Deco. It was it was very 80s, and mm. not only that, but the way that the ladies in there were dressed with the sweater dresses, mm. with the belt, and the um, <laughs> and like the the chandelier necklaces or whatever they were wearing.
0: Right. Yes. Um, Obviously suspenseful though. Clearly <laughs>
2: something suspenseful. <laughs> Favorite scene:
1: the Chinatown restaurant scene. Wow. Yep. I mean, yes, I've <laughs> <That's> never <mine. laughs> seen anything like it. I mean, how did they come up with that? That's incredible. Everything in the restaurant comes to life. All the food. And it's terrifying. I, I think <laughs> well, that, that scene
2: is a special effects makeup artist's dream. Oh, I mean, yeah. just to be able to, to just go into something and just have an empty pallet and be like what can we do Mm. and i i I think it's so creative and just just a gorgeous scene um and it's hilarious
1: it's hilarious yeah and and terrifying and and then the 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 sort of pinnacle of the scene with the the whole cow carcass busting through the door (laughs) is just like wow that's it. That's that's the best thing I've ever seen. That's amazing.
0: It's it's next level, isn't it? Because it, it, you get sort of duck heads and and, and pig carcasses and, and and yeah, various small pieces. But then the whole cow yeah. comes through from the freezer. Holy crap! I mean, this is a freestanding thing waddling without hooves across the floor and a, and then enveloping them. I
2: that was amazing. I don't
0: know if it's a. Is it, a, is it a suit? It's amazing. That's a, wow. that's a guy
2: inside that manipulating it.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. It's yeah. amazing work.
2: My, my favorite scene in that scene, my favorite part of that scene, I should say, is when the li- the cow liver like rolls down the thing and jumps onto Roger's <laughs> face. Like a face
1: hugger. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like sticks <laughs> to his face.
2: And there's this, it makes me laugh every time I, I was howling when he's like trying to pull it off his face and you can hear him muffled say what the
0: fuck is this (laughs) 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 but it's really well done because the the liver is sort of articulated because he peels it off at one point and it curls back on. yeah 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 most cliche moment for cliche we're going to go with a regular feature from matt's podcast take it away matt
2: All right. Well, this is the point in my podcast uh, where we typically it's at the end of the podcast. We do what's called bullet points. And these are five tropes or cliches that I pick out of the movie. And we basically just kind of use them as discussion points. So let's see. Bullet point number one, the overly angry, agitated police captain.
1: Uh, Oh, yes. Yes
0: gotta have that at least the commissioner wasn't chewing his ass or something yeah that's usually what happens yeah
2: well at least at least he doesn't say your butts writing checks or you're writing checks your butt can't cash (laughs) yeah bullet point number two people wearing jackets in hot and sunny weather Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Are you feeling comfortable there, Matt? <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Well, I've got my AC cranked down to like 65, but uh, if I walked outside in this right now, I would... And this is essentially what Roger is wearing through most of this movie. Yeah. Mm. It, it really, it's bothersome when you see somebody riding in a convertible, sunny weather, leather jacket on. Yeah. Mm. Bullet point number three is... I had it written down differently, but I like the way you ordered it, Conrad. The shooting things to solve problems (laughs)
1: yes
2: (laughs) and they they shoot the lock off the mausoleum they he shoots the telephone out of mcnab's hand bigelow shoots the head off the reanimated duck that's squawking at him but the one thing that they don't shoot is what (laughs) that would have changed the entire plot
0: yeah and i was screaming at the at the movie because um when roger gets locked in the asphyxiation room. Mm. Yep, Doug's got guns lying all over the floor around him, but he does nothing but sort of pat at the door in a futile way. There's a big glass window there. He does nothing about it. And I was just, this is, this is the thing you're not going to shoot at? His friend's dying, and he doesn't shoot at the glass. Yep. Insane. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
2: Bullet point number four is the... Undercover detectives riding around in an ostentatious, expensive, or rare vehicle. Mm -hmm. They're riding around in a 1960 Chevy Impala convertible that is bright red and has white trim. Mm. (laughs) Can't be more than a couple of those in Los Angeles, and they are undercover today. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And bullet point number five, having conversations during gunfights.
0: Mm, very practical
2: um, that many guns going off at once your ears would be ringing for days mm. let alone having a conversation when they're in Randy James's apartment uh, and the guys are shooting at him in a confined space like that I mean it th- those gunshots are like they're like your heads in a coffee can I mean it's Deafening. Mm. And yeah. the fact that people yeah. were like throwing out quips and like, oh, remember the good old days when guns killed people? Yeah. No, all, all you can hear at that point
1: is
0: wow, 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 Yeah. Best <laughs> special effect.
1: Yes, the Chinatown restaurant scene. Yes, of course. Yep. It blows blows everything out of the water. Uh, I did like the Randy melting scene. I mean, it made no sense, but it looked amazing the fact that there were no cuts almost. Like, you see her hand in mm. one shot, like, decompose, and then her arm falls off. Amazing. Yeah, that shocked
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. not expecting it to fall off. Like, yeah. all
1: on camera, there's no, like, cut away, cut back, cut away. Cut, I mean, there were a few, but not as many as you would normally see in a movie like this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: My favorite is, that is after the hand, the, the second thing that happens is her face kind yeah. of melts. And I have a quote from Steve Johnson on that, he said, One of my favourite effects in the movie is where Lindsay Frost deteriorates. For the first shot where her face starts to sag, all I did was glue some very, very thin but strong fabric to her face at several points and attach very thin fishing line to it and then pull her face down. And it just looked incredible. If you built a dummy it would have cost $30,000 and wouldn't have looked half as good. And here it was, basically for free, in 10 minutes. Wow. Wow. And, yeah, I thought it was shocking. Having read that article from Steve Johnson talking about it, when I watched the movie again, I can see the Oh, really? Oh. Um, And it's probably really apparent on the 4K version, Matt.
2: Yeah, you can. You can see it, but it's still, it's such an effective scene. And I, yeah. even with the, um, you know, the, the line showing, so to speak, it still holds up and it's still a very unnerving scene to see someone kind of,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Um, the only part of that, I love 85% of that scene, the very end, the very end is, I feel like oh, where it's yeah. so cheesy and where they animate it and then it just like disappears yeah. and. I'm sorry, Roger. Yeah. I feel like that's that's where everybody checks out of this movie, where they're like, okay, this is just fucking dumb. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: Favourite sound effect. My favourite sound effect in this movie is just the echo on Vincent Price's line uh you could live forever and it's just on the forever forever forever. forever, forever. (laughs) i don't know if that's a machine he carries around that he can just you know switch on the delay echo so that he can emphasize some of his lines i don't know Mm. but yeah i did like it cheesy but fun
1: (laughs) uh i'm gonna go back to the chinatown scene again uh because i did really like when everything all the food has been resurrected the duck sounds are just normal duck sounds, <laughs> like normal quack quack quack. Like they didn't add any effects or make it more terrifying. It's just a normal quack 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 sort of sound. <laughs> just hilarious.
0: It was funny.
1: Mine is <laughs> mine
2: is when at the last scene at the lab when all of the old rich people are lined up around the machine, and it's after Mortis blows up the uh, security guard and he walks in and he starts like, uh, and he basically is kind of threatening him with the gun and he's like, you know, don't get up. And then he shoots the, the one guard and he's like i told you not to get up and th- th- all the people start like kind of freaking out and this one old guy literally looks up and he goes eh and then he like gets out of he lurches out of his seat yeah. <laughs> it's is like old man noise Aah! and then he like
1: gets
2: up. most funniest, most funniest moment.
0: moment i've already said my funniest scene which is the liver at king roger <laughs> in chinatown did anybody have anything that made them laugh
1: more than that Uh, I Oof. I don't know for me the whole movie was hilarious like there was just funny scene after funny scene uh, and 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 scenes that were just like what what was what was the thinking here like the fish tank in Rebecca's office that's got no fish in it it's an empty fish tank with just pictures of fish what what was the point of that <laughs> I
2: mean, if I wanted to get transcendental, I mean, I guess you could make a connection where it's like, oh, look, they're, they're not real. They're not really alive, but they're just as pretty because fish die. Because there is a theme with that too, where Randy's fish die
1: Mm, Yeah,
2: and I guess there's a connection there. I I don't, I'm not giving Terry black that much credit. Like, eh. (laughs) yeah,
1: there are, there are a lot of fish tanks in this movie for some reason. Doug is found in the fish tank as well. Uh, I don't know. Yep. They just had an excess of fish tank props that they had to use, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
2: Fish tanks were cheap. You know.
0: <laughs> One of the movie sponsors, maybe.
1: <laughs> maybe.
2: Sponsored by Nutrimen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Okay. And that's our movies.
1: Yes, it is. No?
2: Hi, this is Michael French from Retro Blasting, and you're listening to Movie Oubliette.
1: Okay, everyone, it's final verdict time. Should 1988's dead heat be freed, given sulfur, thiazole, and be resurrected for the world to marvel at? Or should it be shot a hundred times, electrocuted, asphyxiated, and finally dropped back into the oubliette to be lost forever? So, Matt, our guest today, has presented us with dead heat. Uh, what, what would your final verdict for this movie? Should people watch it
2: without a doubt? Absolutely. Yes. Not only that, this movie should be freed from the Oubliette. It should be taken to the top of the castle and a giant (laughs) banner should be displayed, (laughs) telling all the people in the land, go watch this movie. If you have not yet, because it succeeds where so many movies would fail at combining horror, comedy and action, mm. which it's it's that's a huge feat, but it also it's a just a peaks and valleys uh, tonally throughout this entire movie and almost any other movie that would have that the strange tonal shifts, it would just fall apart and it like Randy James in her bathroom, but it just works <laughs> and it's just such a fun ride. It it almost it's almost like if Hammer films was making a campy horror comedy action movie in 1988 is kind of what it's always felt like to me. It's got that kind of pedigree, mm. even though it has no connection to Hammer Films. Yeah. But it's very inventive and it's unique. It's really intrinsic to to its time too.
1: Yeah. Sure.
2: So, yeah, I love it. I love this film.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'd never seen this movie. I'd never heard of this movie. Um, but it it is one of those kind of what-if movies. Like, what if we take... Buddy cop movies and zombie movies and just put them together. Let's see what would result in that. And I think it kind of works. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a bit B grade. Some of the acting's not great. Some of the, the production aspects aren't great. Um, but the effects are outstanding. Like, I was shocked at how good some of the effects scenes were. Just flawed. By how good they look and it, yeah it's not great for like female characters they don't have a lot to do and they're just killed off unceremoniously um but yeah, yeah i think the the key word for this movie for me uh was was fun it's just a lot of fun and you can tell that they're having fun and they're not trying too hard to make a like a good movie um and it's yeah it's just a, a nice thrill ride you know enjoy it enjoy the craziness <laughs> yeah yeah i think reluctantly i
0: i would have to agree um in it's i'm still not convinced the story holds together no. at all <laughs> no, <it> um <laughs> I, I can't follow it in any case um the acting is yeah it's it, it's hit and miss i've seen reviews where a lot of criticism goes to joe piscopo on mm. this um but, you know, but i think it's a mixed bag and some of it's to do with the writing let's be honest actors are only as good as the writing they're given and i think you know half of Doug's jokes fall flat or they're sort of questionable in terms of their taste and the other half are actually pretty funny and the really (laughs) cheesy ones are really cheesy but funny. The special effects really are incredible and I think mainly the the thing just, just barrels along like a ridiculous wild carnival ride and if you're a fan of the 80s and practical effects and buddy cop movies and want to see this weird mashup of... Miami Vice and Shaun of the Dead, um, that you've never heard of before and had no idea existed. Uh, You're in for a real treat. (laughs) Because yeah, I I had a blast with it. And it's been really great to talk to you about it, Matt. So thanks for bringing it to us.
2: Oh, absolutely. I I knew this one would be a, a great one, just because it's such a crossover of ideas. And that's what Iconicon is all about. And us kind of co-mingling our our podcast and I love the Shaun of the Dead Miami Vice conglomeration <laughs> that you just said uh, to me it's it's that but it's also RoboCop meets Night of the Living Dead meets like a detective noir yeah mm. so it's yeah it's 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 so many flavors that that create this organic stew um, <laughs> and it it should be disgusting but it works and it's tasty and it's mm. you know I love it
0: All right. Okay. Well, with
1: that in mind, let's set that sucker free. (laughs) Off you go. Hey, come on, Roger. Let's go trash the rest. Be free. (laughs) (laughs) So, Matt, you have been our guest today. Where can our listeners and and viewers uh, who are viewing this uh, follow (laughs) you? Where can they find you on the internet?
2: I can be found on YouTube under Endless Bullets. And I can be found on Spotify. Uh, also under "Endless Bullets," uh, I believe it's "Endless Bullets," the action movie podcast, and also on Stitcher under the same heading. Nice. And I can be found uh, at Iconicon Brilliant. 2022, which which uh, this will be airing during. So
0: yes. <laughs> We're in the midst of numerous panels and goodness knows what else. Mm-hmm. So can't wait. As we're recording, I can't wait. <laughs>
2: this was so much fun, guys. Uh, thank, you yeah, for, thank you for uh, having me on and thank you for, for doing this uh, team up with me. Yeah, yeah, it's been
0: fun. <laughs> Thanks for bringing this movie to us.
1: And if you want to follow us, we are Movie Oubliette on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Uh, And you can also email us at movie.oobliette at gmail.com.
0: And if you want to uh, contribute towards the show to make it possible because it only exists because of our Patreon uh, subscribers, then head on over to Patreon where for as little as a dollar you can nominate or vote on films for future episodes. And for $5 you get access to our
1: exclusive monthly minisodes. Yes and uh merchandise red bubble that's where it's at uh it would also check out uh the iconicon designs as well i've already got mine mm. on my t-shirt and it's great i've never been on a t-shirt uh, yes. before
2: that that is all yes. all three of us are on that shirt yeah
0: that's yeah. amazing oh yeah that's, that's right yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not wearing it yet i'm still saving
1: it <laughs> Okay, Conrad, I guess what we need to know now is what are we doing next episode? Well, we've been in the 80s and 90s for a
0: while and looking at a lot of science fiction and horror, so I thought this time we would go to the 2008 science fiction fantasy
1: adventure film City of Ember. Oh, I do remember seeing that movie, actually. I, I, I thought it was, yeah, definitely undiscovered at the time no one seemed to have watched it no i don't think
0: they did i think it sank without a trace grossing only 17.9 million against a budget of 55 jeez
1: (laughs) oh that's got a (laughs) sting
0: yeah wow so poor movie directed by gil keenan of monster house fame and starring saoirse ronan harry treadaway mary kay place bill murray martin landau toby jones and tim robbins it's got quite the cast mm. quite the pedigree in terms of crew so yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think at the time saoirse was relatively unknown as well yeah yeah she was pretty young. early
0: film for her so yeah fascinated to revisit this i have seen it and i remember nothing <laughs> yeah, I I don't remember much either, but yeah, I, I'm keen to revisit. Yep, it's in the oubliette. I have forgotten it entirely, <laughs> so should be fun.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Well, thanks for being with us, Matt.
1: Yes, can't wait to do it again. Yes, thank you for having me. All right, listeners. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye for now.
0: Bye. Not with us, no, no, not the movie you Roger he said he said i should hurt you but i'm going to hurt him kill that guy would you